So we originally had another episode uh, recorded for this week, which is brilliant. Take it from me. Um, totally unbiased source. But unfortunately, there are quite a few issues with the quality of the sound on that recording. So this week, we will be releasing our first mini-sode instead, and we will re-record the other episode for a later date because it is brilliant. So what we've done is we've um, re-recorded the laws from that episode and popped them into this week's. Um, So it's the same laws, but slightly different content. Welcome to our first mini-sode, a podcast that tries to help itself not cost money. (laughs) (laughs) Aim high. Aim high. So this is a mini-sode because there's not really enough information to be a full episode, but it was kind of funny. So I thought we could start doing mini-sodes, which will eventually appear on our Patreon. So this is quite an old case, but also quite a new case. We'll get on to that. I'm so intrigued. So this case took place in India immediately before and following the British leaving and the partition of India into two countries, which then created Pakistan. I don't know enough about it to speak with any level of authority, and the British getting involved was exactly what caused the problem in the first place, so I feel (laughs) that commenting is probably not smart. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. Um, For reference, that was happening in 1948. There are complicated political reasons, but it's really not relevant to this case. And I don't understand it well enough to to talk about it I think Mm -hmm. okay so what we being the British not me and Karis decided to do was split India into a majority Hindu state India and then create a majority Muslim state Pakistan and it went super well and everybody was really happy and it's all great and it's never caused any problems the end the end alright we'll stop the podcast there yep there we go it was great everyone was super happy of course it's caused problems um that's all you really need to know for this case so let's just move straight on to the meat of the case I am about to butcher some names, which I do know is everybody's favourite thing when I do that. (laughs) So, prior to the partition, the 7th Nizam of Hyderabad, we said it was Hyderabad, didn't we? Yeah. Might be Hyderabad. No, you've said it. Yeah. Anyway. Don't know. Very sorry. Um, He was the Maharaja of Hyderabad, shockingly enough. His full name and titles were... (laughs) His Exalted Highness Nawab Sir Mir Osman Ali Khan Siddiqui Azafjar the Seventh. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to call him. There were six more of those then before him. Yes. Yeah. So I'm going to call him the Seventh Nizam because that's what most people refer him to, and his name's just a little bit too long. This is supposed to be a mini sode. Um, when partition was being discussed, he wasn't sure whether he wanted to join India or Pakistan. He was a long way from the proposed Pakistani territory, but was apparently from a Muslim family. So he was considering joining Pakistan or potentially remaining independent. He really didn't know. When is this happening again? 1948. Okay. As royalty, he was not exactly short on the cash. In 1937, Time magazine named him the fifth richest man in the world. And he was the richest Indian who'd ever lived at that time. We would like to be the fifth richest podcasters. Hashtag just so. <laughs> um, well, there is a way of doing it. He was an exceptional miser, famed for borrowing cigarettes from guests, knitting his own socks, and sleeping <laughs> and sleeping in the same ratty pajamas for years. He also used like the same tattered beds, apparently. I promise, if we're the fifth richest podcaster, then I'm not going to be knitting my own socks. I might though, because I'd have like knitting classes and I'd like knit stuff for like for fun I wouldn't have to knitted socks sound like they could be quite 
lumpy or itchy yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah i might knit like other stuff I might knit my own scarves and stuff <laughs> out of well Yuck when i'm the fifth richest podcaster <laughs> knitting will not be high up on the agenda yeah. that's all i'm saying <laughs> you will pay a surf to knit for you to be fair, he was also famed as a philanthropist and apparently introduced a lot of modernisations to his kingdom, including like, electricity, roads, rail travel, quite a lot of good things. Um, it was apparently really... He thought education was really important, so he invested quite a lot in that. Some claim that he was a benevolent, uh, benevolent ruler, but there seems to be some controversy over this and I really don't know enough about it to say. Were the people that claimed him? As in? <laughs> Were the people that claimed he was a benevolent? benevolent ruler oh was it he the one um not that i saw a lot of it was historians but from the looks of it quite a lot of them were like white historians who don't live in india writing about indian history and therefore i don't know how true that is and some people have disputed it and i don't i didn't read into it very heavily for this minisode i'm not gonna lie to you (laughs) it doesn't seem to be it doesn't seem to be relevant anyway so stories about his wealth have circulated and include tales of enough pearls to cover the streets of Piccadilly Circus and just cartloads of gold going rusty. There was so, <laughs> because there was so much of it. Gold rust? Apparently, yeah. I thought part of the point of gold is that I'm not sure that was gold. It might have tarnished, maybe? That gold gold was tarnished? Was no, silver tarnishes. Hmm. That's why gold's such a safe investment. doesn't really go off. Didn't know that. Well, then this is probably sounds like this was massive exaggeration in that case. It's probably only the sixth richest person in the world. <laughs> or India. Well, Whatever ha- it was. He had like a huge diamond as well. Like one of the biggest diamonds. Not, oh, not the now I one. see how we got into this yeah. minisode. Tini loves diamonds. So I, I fully suspect that what happened here is you were Googling big diamonds I, and this led you a link to this story no i googled something else that was like a record and i found this on like page three of the google results i'll say what the record is at the end so yeah the, the giant diamond he wrapped it in paper and used it as a paperweight <laughs> he sounds like it was a bit weird but anyway it's not entirely clear why he did this because there are conflicting claims but whilst he dithered over which state to join he wired a million pounds to NatWest Bank in London into the account of the Pakistan High Commissioner. So NatWest is National Westminster, for those of you who don't know. Pakistan have said that this was payment for weapons which would have been used to defend Hyderabad from the Indian army, but his family claimed that they just did that for safekeeping. Regardless, pretty much immediately afterwards, he then cabled the bank to freeze the transaction, either to get it back or due to pressure from India. Again, it's not clear and nobody who was there at the time is still alive so we don't know india then invaded and annexed hyderabad they had attempted to remain independent the more you say it the more convinced i am it's hyderabad yeah i think it might be hyderabad um they had attempted to remain independent but eventually they were invaded and their forces surrendered so they became part of india this was when things started to get a little sticky where the money is concerned anyway i think it was already slightly sticky before then a million pounds in 1948 was the scientific term a fuck of a lot of money. <laughs> and the Nizam, his family, India and Pakistan all felt that they had a claim to it. So a million pounds then would be 36,058,586 pounds and 18 pence. Quite Currently. a lot of money. Rather a lot of money. More on that later. Tease, tease. The problem was that this money was held by a third party or in this case, a 
fifth party. <laughs> Nat West. And they are based in England. So to make a claim for the money, they had to come to court here. And Nat West always said they were perfectly happy to just give the money to whomever it was due. They just weren't really sure who that might be. At first it was apparently invested in war bonds, 1948, uh, 3% interest, and then it was transferred into like a regular savings account. Presumably when war bonds didn't exist anymore, that was when they changed it. So this went to the Chancery Court in 1957 and then up to what was then the House of Lords. Lord Denning, who's a bit bonkers and famed for his essay about uh, cricket is a sport often enjoyed in summer times. This was the beginning of a judgment, this huge paragraph about cricket. And then his frequent comparison of the average person to the man on the Clapham omnibus. Oh, is that his line? Yeah, he's oh, the one. Oh, okay. He says, the average man is in the man who sits on a bus in Clapham. Don't know that that would be an average person. Well, not now. <laughs> no. <laughs> but yeah, um, he was one of the judges and he essentially helps the courts wash their hands of it. He said the money can be released once there is agreement from all the parties. <laughs> that is not going to happen. <laughs> I think that should have been obvious to him that that was like, so, yep, so you guys just go away and agree. It's like, why did, they, why did they even go to court? So basically the judgment is go away. I don't want to deal with it. Classic game theory. What's game theory? Well, and explain another time, but basically the summation is they either all have to agree or no one gets anything or oh. you can shaft each other. So it's quite a, so it's a whole kind of economics mathematical theory. Mm. But there was one game where um, two people would get money Mm. at the end and either if they both said they'd share it then they would split money i've seen one, this yes, exactly. game show yeah and if one person said but if one person said they'd keep it the other said they'd share it then the one who said they'd keep it would get it so you basically had to trust each other to split the money but game theory and brexit is quite a good example there's, mm. in fact there's probably law cases that kind of talk about it Probably. I'll have to look into that for future episodes because that might be helpful. So, after... but essentially, they all need to agree or it's not going to work. Yeah. So, this was probably in the early 1960s that that was handed down. It then starts to get a little bit more complicated. So, the Seventh Nizam died in 1963. And if his principality had still existed, his son would have then been the Eighth Nizam and would have taken over, but they didn't get to keep their titles or anything mm-hmm. anymore. It sounds simple enough. Except that apart from his fame of being a miser, the seventh Nizam was also famous for being a massive slot. Basically. <laughs> what a man. Yeah. So, so he wasn't a miser about one thing then. No. Well, there's also something which is really gross, but I feel like I do need to say it. Um, he had a huge collection of pornography, <laughs> which was made because he had hidden cameras installed in his house. Oh! Yeah, and he took pictures and videos of um, himself and other people like having sex, and I don't believe that they knew that. I feel like I need to say that because we said nice things, and it's like this is a piece of information that was obviously an awful thing. So, yes, although yeah. different sexual mores and aspects. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that in 1950 it would have even occurred to me that there might be a hidden camera somewhere in a room. Like, I just, I don't even think it would occur to me now if I'm staying in someone's house. In Japan, it's a huge problem. Yeah, I've heard about that. Absolutely huge. Anyway. So, reports vary, but apparently he had anywhere between only 34 children. (laughs) And family sources said that he impregnated 86 of his mistresses at least once and sired over 100 children. The 
Biggest number I've ever seen was 168. Guy got around. Yeah. He sowed his wild oats. Yeah. And shagged a lot of people. So many of these children therefore have families who feel that they have claim over the money. So that's obviously quite Uh, a lot of people. I see. Yeah. Well, 36 million between 36 children seems quite a... Quite a tidy situation. Except that that was so long ago that most of the children are also dead now. Oh, dear. Okay. So, the son has also since died, so the dispute was taken up by two of his grandchildren, primarily his eldest grandson and then his youngest. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't go anywhere for decades, mostly because Pakistan then claimed sovereign immunity, so it had to just stop. They couldn't continue the dispute. Why they did that, I still haven't quite figured out. They've not said. Um... They eventually decided, however, that that was a bit silly and they've decided to waive it. That right. was in 2013. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It took another six years after that to be decided. But as of October the 2nd, 2019, what happened was India reached a deal privately with the Nizam's heirs to take some of the money, although how much is not public. And so then India dropped their court claim. Ah, and do we know how much money there was by this point? Not precisely. About 36 million, though. Okay. So it's probably roughly correct with inflation. They haven't got much, in, haven't got much interest on it, then. No. I think probably because it'll be whatever the interest rate was when they changed it over to another account. Okay. But, yeah. So there you go. Um... They then dropped their part of the claim. That was India. So the Nizam's heirs went up against just Pakistan and the Nizam's heirs had united for this. So there was all the other extraneous Game ones. Theory. Yeah. I think all the other extraneous people had been kind of told they weren't going to get any money. And his direct grandchildren, who were the legitimate grandchildren products of marriage, are probably the most logical heirs, unfortunately. That is still how our system works, I think. And I think it will be about his will as well, but that, I don't think that, that was made public. I don't know. The High Court ruled that Nizam VII, as in the one who died, who sent the money in the first place, was beneficially entitled to the fund. And so those who were claiming in the right of Nizam VII, so the princes and India, are entitled to have the sum paid out to their order. So they got it. The solicitor for Nizam VIII's estate said, Our client was still a child when the dispute first arose and is now in his 80s. (laughs) Wow. It is a great relief to see this dispute finally resolved in his lifetime. So what I googled was longest running court cases UK. So this is usually a title that goes to probate cases, I will say, because the one thing that people will never stop fighting about is money. Brings out the worst in people. Money and family. Yeah, and because it's very easy for those cases to get really complicated really fast, and a lot of other stuff will just stop when somebody dies, whereas you know the money still exists and you still have heirs who will continue to exist for the most part, so it's easier for them to run on and on and on. Surely most of that money must be going on lawyers' fees now. Probably. I can't imagine there'll actually be anything left. No, I mean, they had they had solicitors who would literally take over the case and then die. And then the, <laughs> people people at NatWest as well, there would be somebody who ran the case at NatWest and then they would die and then there was somebody else who managed the account and then they died. It was literally like it just took so long that the original people are long gone. The um, best lawyer in a Terry Pratchett book is a man called Mr. Slant, who's a zombie, which is viewed pretty much as an advantage for being a lawyer. Yeah, arguably it is in a lot of ways. So yeah, it took over (laughs) 70 years. It took over 70 years for them to decide who got now £36 million, but it's been decided and it's done. 
Wow. Okay, well, there we are. With that resolution, thanks for listening to our first Minnesota. Yeah, uh, apologies for the awful sound quality here. I suspect that I am being recorded by my laptop microphone. (laughs) Because I decided during quarantine, I know what I'm going to do. I am going to organise my entire bedroom, which of course means I don't know where anything is. Ricky error. Ricky error. It was. I mean, also, this is our sixth episode. We've sort of stopped caring about quality by this point, you know. Not making an effort anymore. It's too far into the relationship. You're ours now. <laughs> that was surprisingly creepy. Yeah, that well, that was the idea. Right. So, Tierney, what, what are our laws this week? So, um, the law from last week was, in the UK, it is illegal for a commoner to permit his animal to have carnal knowledge of a pet of the <laughs> royal household. True or false? I'm assuming I said false, right? You did say false. And what's the answer? It is, of course, false. Well, that is good news for animals of the royal household, I'm sure. I'm sure they are very pleased. So, yes, there is no evidence that this is or has ever been real. This law is usually attributed to George I, if anyone is trying to really convince someone that it is real. And I've got to wonder what circumstances you would be really trying to convince someone that law is real. Yeah. Well, so none of the acts of his reign relate to royal pets, but um, the Criminal Law Act 1722, which has since been repealed, did institute the death penalty for killing deer in the royal forest. Oh. It will be one of those random things where there will have been something that someone has discussed at some point in history about royal pets, and then it has just sort of snowballed. (laughs) Snowball being a great name for a royal pet, of course. Indeed. Take that out, please. That was a dreadful joke. (laughs) No, it was great. I'm not (laughs) taking it out. I'll take it. Keep it in to make yourself look better. Yeah. All right, moving swiftly on. <laughs> look, I keep. What law do we have this week? <laughs> when my jokes fall flat, they end up on the cutting room floor when I'm editing, which is not very often. So, <laughs> anyway, um, this week in Australia, fortune telling is illegal, true or false? Ooh. That is a good one. And you didn't actually answer when we originally recorded, so. I'm going to say false. Fortune telling is legal. Because an Australian fortune teller is a beautiful image. Okay, well, find out next week. Brilliant. And actually, Tierney, while we're on the topic of next week, yes, um, we have quite a serious episode coming up next week, don't we? We do. So when I said next week, I mean the week after because there isn't going to be a true or false law. Um, It is an important topic that we wanted to discuss, but it didn't feel appropriate when we attempted to record the um, true or false law at the end to to keep it in there. So next week, as you guys know, normally I have no idea what we're going to be discussing, but as it's a really important topic next week, Tierney and I have already talked about it, and we're going to be discussing um, the issue of consent in law. Um, so it will be a more serious episode than usual. We do give some content warnings, um, but just so all of you are aware that it won't be kind of a usual humorous look at things because that's not really appropriate for a topic like this. 
Okay, so that wraps it up for this week. So thanks very much to everyone who supports this podcast, including Blueberry Creations, who designed our podcast logo. Our website was by Sunstarved Designs. And our theme tune is Fretless by Kevin McLeod. And one final reminder, in case you're in doubt, uh, nothing in this podcast constitutes legal advice. Um, and if you do need legal advice, we suggest you call a lawyer. And that, by the way, does not mean me. Do not call me. <laughs> also, it's probably... Not yet. It's also probably worth mentioning, um, this is the only thing that we've recorded that's actually been recorded during the pandemic. Everything else has been recorded, like, last year. So... Shh! <laughs> For the next several weeks, if we're talking about other stuff, that would be why. (laughs) All right. And on that note, guys, tune in next week. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye.